Anything we need to talk about before? Otherwise, uh, I don't think so. Okay. All right. I'll just start. Welcome to episode 36 of Podcast X. Um, I am Ben Kendrick. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hi. I like how I was sick last week or whatever, week before, uh, and now, yeah. you know, now it's your turn. It's good. Yeah. it's uh, Dude, I have been, I mean, I told you, like, the kid is in daycare, so I'm sick all the time, but th- this is just like a head cold, I think, and I'm on day, like, six of just being congested and sore throat and... Yeah, it's uh, it's not fun. But I didn't want to delay this anymore because like we all saw Spider Verse like super early last week, so that we could get a podcast out. And I was like, uh, I can't do it. So, um, we're also joined by special guest Kofi Outlaw. Um, yeah, I take care of myself and wash my ass, so I don't have to like contract disease. You know what I like specifically remember from Kofi when we were at Comic Cons and stuff was like, and even when like COVID I think was kind of happening, like Kofi was always just like, just don't, just don't fucking touch your face. I remember, oh, yeah, it's like, do you remember that? Like Kofi was like, I am like really good about not touching my face, and I don't get sick very often, and like well, I'm not just that. Kofi also said he was like mega prepped with like all the stuff you need to hydrate and, and take care of sick kids and everything. Yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, for COVID. Oh yeah, I I I knew when it was going down before everybody <laughs> panicked. I went and cleaned out a Target and people were looking at me like I was crazy because I was in <laughs> buying all the toilet paper and fucking what you call it, Pedialyte you could get. That's it. Our, our house yeah. was a stronghold just a week later. And I yeah. and I still have some of that stuff downstairs, like in the garage. I still have some of our uh, our makeshift triage materials. Good call, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the key Smart was man. to COVID, to everything. I mean, to just disease in general, just wash your ass. I mean, you guys wash your ass a little more, you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I just yeah. did that before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, shower and poured I mean, some wine, is, so I'm good to go. But this is clearly my problem. I you guys are getting these diseases from. Yeah, yeah I. This is it. I'm just a I'm disgusting just human being. So. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, washing your ass won't help you, so don't bother. I don't know. Yeah, but don't touch your face. He was right about that one. He was right about that one. Don't touch don't your wash face. your ass and then touch your face for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like somehow Ashley has managed to not get sick, and I'm convinced it's because like she is way better at washing her hands after dealing with the kid oh, than I am. I thought you were gonna and, say something else. <laughs> no, not, yeah, not after washing my not after washing my ass. But like, I mean, love your kids, but don't love them so much that you touch them too much. Because yeah, that's it. Because yeah, this kid for sure brought this. Don't thing be dumb, just dumb shit like drinking after them or eating little bits of their food they didn't finish. That's how you get no. sick real quick. Yeah, accurate. Instant you do that, you're done. Yeah. So <clears throat> I apologize to the to our listeners for the delay on this episode as well as like what I'm going to sound like um, throughout this episode. But uh, today we're going to be talking Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Most of you guys probably got to see that this past weekend. And then we're going to preview for you um, Transformers, uh, <laughs> Beast, Rise of the Beasts. And then we've all also seen The Flash. So we'll we'll do kind of like a little spoiler-free 
preview of those two movies and then we'll come back next week and we'll do like full reviews spoilers for uh for transformers and for um for the flash but um we'll let's start with spider-verse and um i yeah i mean i'll let i'll let you guys start who wants to who wants to kick this off i'm black i will um, there you go yeah <laughs> I'm just fucking around. Sort of. but, um, <laughs> this why, yeah, this is why you have your special guest. You're on every week. It's like we need we need a non-white guy on, and we don't know any other ones. So you're, that's why you're a special guest. <laughs> 2023. I don't know if. Wait, aren't you guys like in charge of a lot of things? You shouldn't be admitting that on a. On yeah, a that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway. Okay. Um. Yeah. Spider Verse. Uh, it was less black, so I give it a lower grade. So there you go. I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, in all seriousness, um, yeah, this was a phenomenal achievement in visual spectacle. Um, what they, I mean, I just, I, I still don't think I'm even fully qualified to talk about this unless I watch it like a couple more times for all the details and levels of meaning. And like with the first film, I think it's underestimated how sophisticated these stories are. You go back and watch the first one and you begin to realize just how many kind of like foreshadows and Easter eggs. I mean, just the whole thing with like how they slip Alchemax and Daka Ock into like that early scene of him in classroom and stuff. Like there's all these kind of deeper, intricate things in these movies. And this one is so um, I don't want to say overpack because it sounds negative, but it's just so rich. It's like a really rich pastry or something with like. Every shot, every sequence, every setting is packed with so many layers of meaning and implication and all kinds of and just aesthetic uniqueness to every universe we visit. Every one, one is different down to the animation styles and what happens in the animation while you're watching it. Um, like Gwen's world being like this mood ring effect that kind of shifts colors with her emotions. Well, this watercolor cascading effect is always like happening. It, it's it's so wild as just an achievement in animation that it's, I mean, it's kind of like staggeringly hard to even just get past that. But I think that once again, and this is kind of like wrapping up my things real fast because I've done like so many now talks about this and, and whatnot. But I think that while this film expands its scope to talk about other Spider-Verse characters and their experience and to look at what being a Spider-Man or a Spider-Woman means in a larger kind of universal sense across any number of wild variants and that we get in this movie. Oh, I'm sorry. The hiccups. But um, my only detraction is that it does very much more so than a lot of even two-part films we've seen feel like half a story. Um, yeah. Part of that is where it cuts off, but part of that is just I think that they're telling, and especially in this second chapter, and it all weaves together with the first film in some very beautiful kind of unexpected ways that they're tying us all into being one large true trilogy story. And I think it's going to be dope as fuck when it's done. But right now it is at a frustrating point where I like, Oh, I was watching that and really getting deep into it. And I know I don't have the requisite four hours that they <laughs> like plan this thing out to be. Um, but I feel like kind of stymied by how quick we were out there and when we get out. But you know, at the end of the day, my biggest criticism is I was enjoying this film so much that I would have sat through four hours of it straight 
And I really wish I could sit through the end of it right now, but I think the end is going to be dope. I think it's going to be end game level with just all spider people. I think we'll see all kinds of awesome shit in it while also getting a story that really hits home and, and makes both miles Morales and Gwen Stacy and even fucking Spider-Man 2099, like into major mainstream staples that on, on just levels we haven't seen before. And it's already worked for miles. Gwen's quickly rising up. And uh, I think when this is done, it's going to be this greatest Spider-Man story. One of the greatest Spider-Man stories ever told in any medium across any span of history, like period. So, you know, there you go. I think, yeah, I think you hit, you hit on something that like, I, I agree with everything you were saying and I felt the same way about the ending where it, it, it does feel like this is half a movie and it's hard to like hold that against it. I don't, you know, I, I wasn't saying there being like, Oh, this is just, you know, what did I just sit through? Like it's only half a movie, but it did, man, the end of that movie. And I don't know if you felt this way, Rob, like it kind of felt like one ending after another and i kept thinking okay well this is where they're gonna cut it and then they just kind of kept going it's like when he gets you know he gets to like earth 42 or whatever and you know we realize he's in the wrong universe or something like they could have cut it right there but it's like then we see him go upstairs and he like sees uncle aaron and they like set that whole thing up and then uncle aaron's looking kind of suspicious and we hear about the sinister six syndicate crime syndicate on the radio and everything's on fire and then he gets knocked out and it's like, you could end it there. And then it, you know, we get this other scene. Like, it's cool because you kind of know where they're headed, but that last like 15 minutes of the movie was like, they didn't know exactly where to cut this thing off. I felt like, yeah, they definitely built, I think they wanted to kind of build the doom and gloom of that world. But at the same time, it was also complicated because they were cutting to Gwen yeah. in the other universe. Like they're cutting back and forth. So it almost felt like, um, even though it's half a story, like that third act felt like a, a like it was three point two five acts. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the cliffhanger kept sure. going on and on. So you are you are right about that. But I did feel it. Like well, I felt that building yeah. at the end. So that was. I mean, I'm not against. I, I can. It wasn't against it because I mean, it was. If you remember, the Matrix Reloaded is very much like this too, right? Yeah, for sure. Matrix yeah. Reloaded ends with the Oracle in like you know a voiceover, and we see the various factions. And that's kind of the trick of doing a two-part movie is like you cut it yeah. and you have to do like a, a slight epilogue for everybody involved in the fucking story. And so you get like these little teases and this, and they always try to do it. And I hate this dynamic in a film and I didn't like it in this one either. But I mean, it, it, I was excited enough by what it was setting up. But they try to tell you some kind of thematic point that they think they've made in, in this middle chapter that sets up the battle for the final chapter. And for this one, it was... You know, obviously both Peter and or uh, Peter, fuck Peter, Miles and Gwen, both kind of realizing their uniqueness as spider people and being these kind of free spirited versions of it that aren't going to play by like these other rules. And I got that. But like, again, it is kind of like a weird, cheesy TV show ending, right? To anything because TV does. Yeah, that. for sure. It does. That's a common <clears throat> TV staple is like. Okay, until next episode, let's give you a sweeping montage of like where everybody's at right now with like yeah, everybody's in trouble. Voiceover, yeah, a voiceover, sure. or some musical, or some musical number. That's a classic, right? That's when you spend the money, get the good musical cover that you're going to put in your number, you know, and then you show where everybody's at, and then you cut it to black and roll credits until next week. So yeah, 
I mean, I got it, but it wasn't my favorite either. It's always sloppy in movies because the movie's not a yeah. TV show. But that kind of, I think that's what it bothers you is like it makes you break the artifice of a movie and make you feel like you're putting TV rules into a movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It did it did feel like they were setting that thing up where we're sort of spinning from one character to another. And it's like, oh, my God, this person's in peril. And I mean, it's also like we're coming off of watching Fast X, which did which did kind of a similar thing, I would say, you know, but like this obviously did it a million times better. But um, but yeah, Rob, I'll uh, I'll hand it over to you. Um, yeah, uh, I guess first I'll say, you know, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we're recording this after a very successful and big box office weekend. So you, everyone has seen sort of the big, broad general reactions online. It's one of the best sequels ever. It's the best Spider-Man movie yet. And it's like, it's like, it's like the Harrison Ford quote from force awakens. It's true. All of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything you're hearing, it's true. Um, but to me, it's like, and this may sound cliche, but I felt the same way watching John wick chapter four. Like this was kind of like movie magic. And then you guys were hitting on this earlier too, but especially at a time right now in the industry when there are various guilds and unions banding together to take various strike actions. And the, the big focus is on the implications of like AI on art and creativity and writing and, uh, and what that means. Right. And, and, and you'll see a lot of the buzz online from the industry people who all have like WGA in their avatar pictures. They're saying like, like the across the spider verse really is like the best possible showcase of what one, like a thousand actual real talented artists can do there's not really anything else like it and my the reason that i compared to john mc4 is that when i sat down and watched john mc4 i had those like goofy childlike smiles in the theater like there are things happening on screen that i never ha- could possibly imagine or com- comprehend to this day i still don't understand how they did some of the things in in John Wick chapter four, like some of those sequences are just so insane and in how they elevated it so much to get there. This is a very different film, but for the same reason, even though it's an animation and I, and this is a great showcase for why people shouldn't treat animation differently. Like this movie should be a best picture nominee, not just the best animated picture of the year. Right. So far, this is probably the best movie of the year. Um, and, and like you guys were saying, I, I only have minor, minor gripes. Um, for otherwise should be the best movie of the year. Uh, and, and we can get get deeper into this part of it, but there's so many great Easter eggs and character appearances and nods to what we've seen on screen before in the other series and franchises. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of gripes, I will say this since we, we you know, this, this is a fantastic fucking movie despite it being part one of two. Um, but I will say this, I had just watched, I rewatched Into the Spider-Verse before going into this one. And because of that, some of the animation yeah yeah i did the exact same thing i i kind of like i I had to do work while watching it but but i wanted to kind of just feel the vibe again of the animation style and get to know the characters again and see where they kind of left off there um but because of that i i noticed that some sequences had animation that to me on the big screen were too extreme not all of it because there's there's each sort of dimension has a different art style and different frame rate and different animation and stuff but, but there are bits of it I'll, I'll give you some some examples and i don't know how you guys felt about this but like in the very beginning in act one there's that vulture set piece where you meet that vulture from that kind of like the old timey steampunk story universe and he's kind of like sepia toned hand-drawn art um yeah. like there, there's a part of that sequence ends with like the helicopter crashing through the building and they're rescuing the helicopter and the people inside of it I found like when the helicopter is falling down and all that craziness is happening, like the frame, there's so few frames in the animation 
And there's so much visual craziness around the helicopter. Like it was harsh on my eyes, like seeing on the big screen, I found that difficult to follow. And, 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 uh, same for some of the more basic scenes. There's a scene where Miles is just walking down. It's like a very center-focused long shot of him walking down a hallway from behind. And so the center of the of the frame is like the background of the hall, but it's so blurred. It looks like you're watching 3D, but you don't have your glasses on. And again, like that was just bothering my eyes. So there's little bits of that throughout where they, they, they really pushed it, I thought, too much. And, and it's funny, having watched Into the Spider-Verse, that felt so much for lack of a better word, clean in comparison. Obviously they're trying to do more and show more different dimensions and more animation styles in the sequel. But um, I, I hope I say all of that to say, I hope in beyond the Spider-Verse coming in March that they, it's probably too late to say this now, but I, I would wish they find a happy medium between the two. So it's like I, they can have their cake and eat it too, so to speak. But sorry, Kofi. No, I was going to say, like, I mean, I was alluding to in a nice way, like when I was saying like I, this, you need to rewatch this is like, that's kind of what I was saying. Is yeah. Like, you know, your eyes oh, cannot yeah. physically keep up with what's happening because you have to remember it's also because because of the narrative and what they set up, what what is more subtle but kind of significant is there is this effect that really did wake, start to wake me out and fuck with my head a little bit sometimes where like you, the vulture thing sets that sets the rule, right? Like vultures from this, you know, Da Vinci era reality he even has like the little da vinci notes and blueprints like on him as oh, he's yeah. moving but, but he's in gwen's universe so you have which has again its own aesthetic rules and, and visuals and the thing that's wild and i wouldn't have done this but they were crazy and they did in this film is that when characters from another universe go to another universe there is this weird effect where they're like not really able to maintain the aesthetic of that universe. They kind of have the aesthetic of their home universe. And so you have these like pictures where, yeah, the whole thing is just already this wild kind of packed animation style. But then you have people who are being drawn in other styles implanted. And this gets even wilder when you start to get all these characters together. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, yeah. sometimes it's subtle, like the future universe you don't notice it, but it is a completely different aesthetic than either Miles or Gwen's. And then like when you start having like different spider people come through, like Miles will still have some of his kind of comic book, like dot art style, but in this kind of smooth, polished future aesthetic. And that shit does wig with your eyes because sometimes it's so subtle that like your brain is just kind of ticking and you're like, what the fuck? But consciously you don't know what even you're seeing. And so there was a lot visually to keep up with here. But um, that's kind of the thing about movies, I feel like, also, is, like, everybody's actually playing a 4K game, right? Like, everybody's playing the game for when you now have to put this shit on, like, 4K TV later. That's it. And, yeah. And, like, a lot of things we think are, like, so dark in some movie theaters and shit. Like, I rewatch it at home. And I'm like, okay, these motherfuckers were just using 4K monitors, and they didn't realize, like, when you just – not everybody needs to for that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, there's going to be – I, I can't wait to sit down in 4K and kind of like really study this movie. Yeah, I think with the, I'm not the making biggest... excuses for that. I, I think it is a lot for the eye, but I also think it's because we've never ever seen something like this. And that's this, it. Yeah, it's sure. it's so extreme. It's so extremely ambitious for that ambitious for that for that reason, and and it and it does command or demand a rewatch for for that. But it's also just the story itself is so complex and planned out, and it's so detailed. You cannot possibly 
our brains cannot <laughs> comprehend and see all of the bits in each frame the first time around, and it deserves a rewatch. So I'm excited to see it for sure on 4K at home, and maybe I'll go see it in theater uh, again as well. Not many movies made me feel this way. Like I know for fun, like earlier this year, we talked about the movies, uh, our favorite movies of last year, and I, I picked out three that were special in theaters. This is already one of those ones for this year, and I've never felt anything like it. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, the um, I was going to say – in, ter- in terms of gripes as well, um, I don't know how much I want to – oh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, Kofi. When we talk about the bringing in the visual aesthetic and the animation of the different universes, there's one little thing, like one of my nitpicks. I know we always do this, but um, when someone's in the wrong universe, we learn like that's why they have that glitch happening to them. They have that glitch effect, and they need to wear that special like smartwatch thing to kind of keep them grounded within another universe. That felt a little inconsistent with some of the characters we saw, and it certainly doesn't mesh well with the idea of the multiverse as we've seen it in the MCU because we've seen characters bounce around between universes. I mean, Gamora, for all we know, lives in a different universe, and there's no glitching effect. So I, I am I am curious how they're going to reconcile that, especially given that this film does lean on some pretty hefty cameos of Donald Glover as, as a prowler and, and showing us scenes of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and then – the 1970s uh, live action, bat, you know, Spider-Man and stuff like that. So little things like that I'm kind of curious about. And I, I do wonder how they will address uh, in the, in the threequel. But um, I'm also, I'll say, I'm a little disappointed. We didn't see a little more Spider-Pig and Spider-Man Noir from the, from the first movie as well. But uh, we did see them tease at the end, I guess. But um, yeah, it, it was cool that yeah. they're going to bring them back. I mean, that'll be exciting when we, you know, when we return for the next one and everything. Mm-hmm. So do you guys think that like the majority of this next film is going to take place in earth 42. Cause I was kind of curious with the, like the radio stuff with the sinister six syndicate and, and things like that. Here, like, here I got this. Cause I wrote an article about it and I'm a fucking futuristic genius it. and I figure this yep. shit out all the time. So here's what's going to happen. Okay. Every spider verse has a pattern to it, like, which is the first act has, you know, has a character with some issues, but it's mainly set up around kind of introducing things while also introducing a really epic, big fight in the first act. It always is a big battle, right? And this one it's Gwen versus Vulture. And then she meets this and that fight is what galvanizes the real story into motion. Right? So I think we're going to have a lengthy opening to this next one where it's basically the first act will be kind of, Miles trying to reconcile or, or get out of from under his evil Prowler variant. And the Sinister Six Syndicate will definitely come into it. I mean, they don't say it directly, but I feel like Prowler is part of that, if not like helping to lead that. <laughs> so like we might, we're going to see some kind of fight. Um, Miles will kind of get overwhelmed, but Gwen will finally track him down with his squad of spider people. Then there will be, that will be like kind of the big first battle will be like, an epic battle between like Sinister Six Syndicate and Gwen Spider Team with Miles, and they'll fuck then fuck shit up together, and we'll be all nutting in our hands because we'll see you know Spider Pig and Noir and everybody back together again, and the classics, and then so then they'll get into Earth Forty Two, and either Miles will successfully be able to convince like you know his uncle and and his other self and that whole squad to help them, or not either, and he's gonna leave. They won't be able to go from point A to point B because that would be too short of a movie. 
So they're going to need some kind of doohickey, doodad, or MacGuffin, you know, just like the first film, that whole joke, there's always something you need. So they're going to have to go to some other dimension to get some other thing to deal with the spot and whatever the fuck's happening to him. And so we'll see a couple more universes and get to that whole kind of thing. And then they'll have to come back to Earth 42, or Miles' home dimension in the in the final act with their MacGuffin and see if he can save his dad or lose them. And if he truly saves everything and he is the one like Neo or just, you know, he rewrites what it is to be Spider-Man and what you can be and all that stuff. Um, or his dad dies and he has to learn that Spider-Man does become at a cost and all that shit. I don't know what they're going to do with that part, but uh, yeah, there you go. That's beyond the Spider-Verse. Well, I have a question though. How do you think they address the, 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 the big question of the, the, what they call the canon, the breaking of the multiverse with, with spot showing up and essentially almost dooming Spider-Man India's world, right? And then until the spider heroes come in and kind of set up that whatever tech they're using to prevent that, for lack of a better word, it's like almost like a fault like we see in the Marvel comics, right? Um, a breaching of the universes. So that's the ultimate problem of, Ooh, of right. our miles being the anomaly. I think they'll put him somewhere else where like he doesn't exist. Where uh. and, that'll, and that'll be the sacrifice he has to make and his parents will be alive but they'll have to let him go and he'll have to let them go and he'll be put in a universe where there is no Miles Morales. And so it kind of cancels out. And uh, really- all the Tom Holland universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that's uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be kind of funny because there'll be like then two Spider-Men that like nobody really knows. And there'll be like a whole fucking thing they can do because nobody will really know who either Spider-Man is. And spend Tom Holland Spider Man will be like, holy fuck, nobody knows I'm Spider Man. How is there another Spider Man now? Are you from the multiverse? And those scenes would be fucking funny as shit. Doctor Strange, like, Strange bring you? Like, oh God, did I make you come here? Like, all this stuff. And that whole thing, their relationship would be kind of funny in that way. Like, did I bring you here by accident? Did I fuck your whole life up? And Miles would be like, oh shit, I think I fucked your whole shit up. Like, you know, and then they become friends. So that's what I think there would be. It's interesting that this Spider-Man movie for Sony is the one that's blending not just the Spider-Man franchises there. And I guess Madam Web may do some version of this too coming up. But um, the multiverse we're seeing in the MCU is kind of connecting it all into one, including obviously that Venom sort of tease as well. Um, because in the regular MCU and in Marvel Comics, like there are the – we saw the Avengers do a version of this in Endgame. There was Doctor Strange the, in the Illuminati and variants of them doing this. We have Loki doing this and – the Kangs of it all doing this. And theoretically the fantastic four should be doing this. But so far in this, from this perspective, it's like the Spider-Man multiverse, <laughs> like the Rick and Morty of it all. It, it's weird to see like 10,000 Spider-Men, Spider-Women from different universes doing the same thing that so many other characters are doing. I wonder how they will, I don't know. <laughs> in my so head, I think all of this should collide. <laughs> you want to hear something really funny and fucked up? So I took my son to see this uh, as a precursor to his birthday and he, cause he, you know, into the spider verse changed his life. It was the thing that really got him into movies and I was glad to do that. Uh, unfortunately he had to go pee at two key points in the movie that he made me go pee. And I almost was like willing to let him possibly pee. In his pants. <laughs> I was like, bro, you don't know what you're doing right now. He made me leave the instant they got to Spider-Man uh, to spider society HQ so I missed oh, wow. all of it, all of those cameos, like all the different Spider-Men. I missed all that until like the ones that showed up later, you know, like I didn't see any of that. 
all like none of it. So I had to miss all that. The second time he had to pee was when Miles gets through the transporter and lands on Earth 42 and doesn't know. And he's confessing to his mom that he's Spider-Man. And his mom goes, what's a Spider-Man? Yeah, my son like was like, please, I have to go. And I was like, are you uh. fucking kidding me? And so then I had to come back in and piece together like what was going on after he was already hung hanging out with his uncle Aaron and like pretending to be the other miles. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, oh, my God. So, oh, yeah, you really son. have to rewatch this one then. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah no, sure. I really do. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, God, I mean, my son love him. He had the best day ever. He loved it. He didn't know what he was missing, but I was like, bro, you just made me got me fired. Thank you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, um, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot. I want to see this. I mean, what were we talking about? Oh, I know what we were talking about. So multiverse. Uh, yeah. Um, but I was going to throw the random tangent in at some point. This seems like a good point. Uh, there's a scathing report out now in Variety that says that uh, Ben and his preferences for viewing habits. Or was it you, Rob, who was the – no, Ben was maybe the week-to-week person, right? Yeah, Ben was the scared-to-change person. I said that I was – yeah, I was always a fan of the weekly release. I'm pro-binge, oh, yeah. baby. Yeah, well, now it says binge destroy the entire – it's destroying the entire industry. So we'll have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> time to dust this off if you guys don't know this is the, Fuck old, the industry i'm pro-consumer this is the old this is the old screen ran underground argument that uh nearly broke broke the team the binge versus weekly thing back in the 2010s when all you kids were still like you know i was gonna say something vulgar but i'm gonna keep it cleaned up i'm an older man now but um when you kids were just still in your adolescence you were, uh, we were out here fighting fiercely on podcast about whether binge or week to week was going was the way this industry should go. Now this report has come out. Oh man, and that was right back into it. But uh, no, right. could you that imagine right. the amount of shows we're watching now and the screeners of what's coming up? Like Star Trek's coming up, The Witcher's coming up, the even like little things like The After Party season two is coming up. If I had to watch all five of those fucking things week to week, I kill myself i just watched and i told i think i recommended this to ben recently there's a show called silo on apple tv plus if you haven't seen it it's a sponsor of the uh hopefully award-winning comic book nation shout out to silo a new Wonderful. sci-fi mystery from apple tv plus it's what a great fucking sponsor for you guys because it's one of my favorite shows of the year i think they're four or five episodes deep releasing weekly and i would never watch that weekly i, I when i was sick the week before last i binged all the screeners for all 10 it was such an amazing experience so um, again, my, my perspective is always going to be given the extreme amount of content, so much we can never catch up. Having to watch five, 10, 20 shows week after week would be insane. I would still, if binging was not an option, and obviously we have the advantage of being in, in the industry and having screeners sometimes for these non Netflix shows, I would wait to the end and watch them all together. And that's how I'm going to watch like Ted Lasso, for example, because he just finished up. But anyway, binge. Well, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem in me because I want both and I've always wanted both. Um, I think sure. there's event TV that you can never binge like yeah. succession would not be succession. If you ever had to binge it, I'm binging yeah, it right Game now. of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones, but succession week to week, like year to year. Um, Snowfall is another one of them. I was just talking to people about snowfall, which took so long to get going. And it was like four seasons in before that caught on. And the cast had to get out and tweet and create their own Twitter buzz. And like, 
they did it and they got their show and like now it's just kind of overall over memes it's been cemented people are discovering wire style and like that's a week-to-week effort like binge that would have come and probably gone but there are definitely things i could binge like i didn't need a week-to-week a squid game you know what i mean like i was perfectly yeah. fine you know? yeah, yeah yeah a lot of those kind of import shows i think are great as binges i would never do that shit week to week I mean, like, people don't keep up with anime week to week and shit like that. But, um, yeah, man, it's just the money thing. Like, it is a horrible report when you start reading into it. Like, people are just getting so fucked by this. And, like, we do need to figure out the money angle. I didn't read the article. Does it have to do with, like, paying the creators and stuff, like streamers? It's a um, variety. It's everything. It's everything. It's like they did a whole in-depth thing about like how the industry is basically possibly going to be the next housing market in like a Ponzi scheme. Hmm. <laughs> because well, well, there are too many streamer services. It's because kind of nobody, control. well, because nobody knows how to correctly measure this or quantify it or as like for profits. And right. so everything is speculative. And so like, we're now in a industry where, Everybody is making million, billion dollar deals purely based on speculative success and like none of it in the same dollar to cents ratio as the traditional cable network model. And so we've jumped whole fucking balls deep into this new digital streaming world and like we're basically we're basically on gojo and shit ain't looking good you know what i mean like (laughs) real nice right about now um to keep it with my current binge um yeah so like basically if ever people the reason why streaming on people aren't reporting things is speculated to possibly be because if they were to open the actual books and show the actual numbers the entire industry could collapse in housing style because <laughs> everybody would be like, we, we, hey, hey, we got nothing. And then, like, oh man, they got to figure something out because residuals is one of the biggest bargaining issues. Like, they're just not, not paying people for what, you know, Netflix is a good example because they withhold information from people like creators, but they sh- publicly share stats like hours watched or minutes watched, or which is very confusing. Um, well, it's also because they don't know themselves how to quantify that. Into sure, money. sure. Like, what uh, does it mean well, Netflix has never been profitable, so that's for sure. Um, exactly. And that's, it, again, it may not yeah. be a profitable business. And if it's not, and it's the giant that started all this, it's just a cascading effect of just like everything's a posi scheme. It's just a bunch of people pretending to have money when there's nothing in the vault. True. What's interesting, though, is that Disney Plus has a counterpoint. Every exclusive show has been week to week for them, with very few exceptions. Like, they generally release all of their. You know, tier one, tier two shows are always week to week. Although we have an interesting case study coming up on this front because Loki and Echo have dates now and they're back to back. Loki is week to week, of course, uh, but Echo is dropping all of its episodes at once. And you can read into that what you will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's a good, be, good. But it may be a good strategy. They may have just looked at the shows and been like, yeah, the Echo's not a thing people are going to talk about week to week. You know what I mean? So we might as well just like they also might be just dumping it, given the behind the scenes. You know, it depends on what reports you read. There was production issues on that one. So, be, but you're right; it's not you, what you're saying is also true. It's not the uh, level of event TV a multiversal Loki story follow up would be, right? So, yeah. So it's uh, just like 
Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Echo has been, it's been a weird one, but uh, yeah, man, I don't know. This is kind of crazy. So, yeah, I, I like the, uh, the evolution of this. Like, I mean, when we talked about this originally, it was like most of these things on the streaming services, like there was network TV, which was week to week. And then there was the streaming services were dropping, you know, the majority of these things were dropping everything at once. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, it has kind of landed in that interesting sort of middle ground that we're in where there are certainly shows that I agree. I don't know that I would have watched if I was having to wait week to week, whereas I could load up another another episode. But I still the you know, the main thing I was saying at the time is I would just hate if everything became week to week or everything became dropping all at once, because I do love I've decided at the time and there have been shows since then. Like, I love that week to week build up of you know, the anticipation of what's going to happen on, on the show and like the speculation and the, you know, the theory crafting and all that. Like, I really, I really love that stuff. And Lost was such a special experience and Fringe and some of those early like puzzle box shows that to strip that away entirely was something that I was kind of worried was going to, wasn't like worried it was going to happen entirely, but I, I did feel like there were shows that we were watching that were coming out as binges where I was like, Man, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this probably works out really great for the streamer, but you know, there would have been a lot of fun conversations and speculation we could have had along the way if it was coming out. It's true. Our perspective is cursed given our business for sure. Access part of it for sure, but from a consumer standpoint, I think a big part of it too is just the basic difference between episodic and serial. Network TV pre-streaming was very extended. Episodic television, like, like insane yeah. schedules, 23, 24. Could you imagine? Like imagine watching Elementary or Fringe now, 24 episodes a season, one-hour yeah. episodes. Like how much – That it feels like you need two years to shoot one year of TV. Is It's so insane by today's standards, right? Yeah. But every episode was but its own story and they focused their big events – or there are two part episodes for their rating sweeps because it's such a joke, the ad industry back then, right? But now you look at streaming TV and and or, or premium TV, and outside of sitcoms, like for me, it's like always sunny, or things like Star Trek, which depends which Star Trek you watch. Some are episodic, some are more serialized. Strange New Worlds coming up, season two is more episodic versus you know, a, a Picard, which is a very serialized, like a 10-hour movie, right? Um, if it's serialized and I'm watching Again, to my point, if I'm watching 5, 10, 15 shows over the course of a, th- a quarter of the year or the summer season, do I want to watch chapter one of this story and read chapter two of that story? It's like, no, fuck that. I want to I watch my story, experience my story, and then move to the next story. And to be honest, most of these premium shows that we get hyped about and talk about are serialized, not episodic. And that yeah. includes some of the event TV. So obviously it's case by case because Game of Thrones is a great example. Succession is a great example where it's serialized, but – it's fun to have that weekly big bombastic event that we blow up online about and have podcasts about and we cover it on our websites for business purposes and stuff. But from a, from a, again, from my consumer viewer standpoint, I'd rather just finish that story and move on to the next story. You know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to being like in the middle of 15 stories at once, which is the worst possible scenario for me, how I like to consume stories. Right. Yeah. Anyways, we don't have to keep lingering on the binge thing, yeah. but <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting, this though. This has I mean, been a comic book nation-style grenade. Now back to our point. Uh, Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else you guys want to say about Spider-Verse? I didn't, you know, I didn't like fully weigh in on, I guess, 
what I thought of yeah. it. I mean, I think like at the end of the day, I think we all feel really similarly. I mean, it's a beautiful film. In a lot of ways, it's a masterpiece. It's a great follow-up to the other one. There's not a lot to like dislike about it. I think the things that we were complaining about are even just things where it's like, you know, it's almost like too much of a good thing. It's like you're talking about the animation, you know, being like difficult to follow because it's so unique. And we're talking about how like it felt like the movie could have ended 15 minutes earlier, but we were enjoying what we were seeing. But, you know, like, was that the place to end it? All of that's just sort of based on the idea that, you know, we were enjoying what we were seeing so much that, uh, and we're eager to jump back into it, um, you know, in a year. But, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious still, like, have they said, and like, maybe you know better than me on this, like, I mean, they basically just ended up with like a four hour movie and they were like, we're going to have to break this thing into two pieces. Because, I mean, they made that announcement like, you know, only like six months ago or something, right? Like, it wasn't like, like, they would have been deep into making these movies. I, I believe they also first announced it as part one and part two of a cross. That's right. So That's right. I think yeah. you're right. I think it just ballooned into this bigger thing. Yeah. Um, and now they've treated it the smart way. They've treated it as two separate movies because we know <laughs> it's never been successful to do the part one, part two stuff. So, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, obviously I'd, I dug it a lot. I like the focus on Gwen. I mean, just because like, I think that character in the same way that Miles means a lot to, you know, like certain people who want to see themselves on the screen and have kind of like been living in the shadow of a, you know, white cis Peter Parker. It's like Gwen sort of represents, you know, a lot of other things that, that people can kind of lock onto in the way that they did miles. And it, it was All kind right. of nice to see her so version of the universe and stuff. Are we going to talk about this? Are we going to talk about the Gwen thing? What's the Gwen? I think I know what you're alluding to, but yeah, just, I mean, there's you know, a lot of talking about, we've been doing a lot of evidence and theories. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I was having this conversation, and this gets complicated. So, what have you guys heard? <laughs> well, look, look uh, I'll jump in quickly because I just I briefly skimmed through an article one of our writers, Andy, wrote for Screen Rant. Um, but uh, again, this is one of the examples where having not like I need to rewatch the film to catch all these things. But there's a lot of um, uh, like sort of like. Uh, you know, trans rights matters, like sketched into the wall and flags and color coding um, and, and indications that um, Gwen Stacy might be a trans character. And but they don't yeah. obviously outright confirm that or discuss that. But even her father, I think, wears a uh, uh, a trans flag at some point. I, I didn't see it myself. Yeah, a pin. But He's that was a referenced. Pin. A pin. That's it. That's it. That was referenced somewhere yeah. as well. So I, I didn't catch half of those things I just mentioned, I didn't even see myself. So I have to rewatch this film because um, that would be very interesting to see that develop in the sequel. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. The, there is a thing. Yeah, we were, I was discussing this, but there is an interesting thing in this film. Like um, I had a guest on when we did our review on my other show, we had a guest on who was Hispanic and me and him and my other co-host is Hispanic too. And we were both, all three of us were talking about, the scene with Rio and miles. And when she's talking to him, the scene they put in the trailers, like, you know, that was a part of the movie where I was just like, you know, sitting there with my son. And I was like bawling my eyes out because I think if you are like, it's a beautiful scene in the film where his mother's telling him like, you know, basically she loves him. But if you're like a young boy of color, like you, that speech is actually coded to a lot of things that, are specifically geared to shit your parents told you about when you yeah. were growing up. She's speaking in a nice way to things that your parents were like, 
look, this shit's going to be fucked up for you in the world. And this is the way it's going to be. And it's not going to be fair. And like, this shit's going to be like nuts and you're going to have to deal with this, which is like a big part of growing up in like America when you're like a person of color, like especially a man, there is like this specific point where you have to do that. And I've even had to do it with my own son. That's like, you know, who's only five years old. And it's just like that part of the movie is what's genius about this movie is if you were not a person or like a young man of color and you didn't understand that history, it didn't matter. It's still a beautiful part of the movie. But if you are, it was a very coded, well coded thing to say, you know, that's what she was saying to him. Like, I don't want you not just to be like a unique person, but like, I don't want you to feel fucked up because you know, you're like a biracial kid of color and you're going out in the world. And that's what scares the fuck out of me. Yeah. I'm going to see you. And that's the same thing with the trans community that I've kind of just, you know, opened up my eyes and just looked at some of the conversations happening is that, you know, they said the same, a similar thing was I was looking around in the theater and I knew everybody like liked Gwen and everything, but I knew that they, I was like flabbergasted because I knew they didn't understand what was happening while I was sitting there like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. Like, right, right in the fucking thick of it all. I can't believe they're just doing this out in the open. Like, yeah. this. I, I understand that so much. Even the things she says to her dad were all metaphors that could be, or double entendres that could work for a trans kid, you know, like, yeah. why are you scared of me? Because this is who I am. And like, that I'm both these things. And like, you know, you know, I'm not just this like, you know, basically one person thing that you think I am. And like, yeah. And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's pretty wild. And then like, yeah, I got the miles part of it, but I didn't see the trans part of it like at all, but the trans people got it. But like it made me, if they weren't of color, they didn't get the miles part thing that I saw. You know what I mean? And I'm like, one you know like, other things are like this in this movie. Like, yeah. You know, what's really interesting about that is the person that I went and took to the screening with me is a good friend of mine who I've known since college. And like, I mean, we're quite, we're quite close and she is, like she's by and when we came out of the screening she and she's very in touch with like you know lgbtq plus community and everything she she came out and she was like and she's not like a she's you know she knows spider-man and stuff but she's not like a huge comic book person and she stays straight up said like is gwen is gwen trans and i was like i definitely didn't you know personally like pick up on that i knew that like there was a lot of like pro lgbtq stuff like on her walls and you know, that that character in the comics has been kind of representative for that community in some ways and stuff like, but I definitely didn't like, you know, as a cis white dude, like pick up on that. And it's like interesting now when you're talking about also like your experience, like listening to the like miles, like the coded language there, like what someone who is in touch with that community was like picking up that I, you know, was going over my head entirely. So that's interesting. Uh, I'll say to to the Rio sequence that Kofi referred to. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to be said about the subtle moments of just like Gwen and Miles talking when they're hanging vertically, like underneath the tower. Like the, the subtle moments like that are some of the most memorable and beautiful scenes. Um, but the Rio sequence, the quote that hits home is when he, when she tells him, like, "Don't let anyone ever tell you you don't belong," which speaks to all these themes we're talking about now, but also like the larger thing of Miles's overall story, right? Um, I will say this, though. At CinemaCon, it was that 
that scene of Rio talking to Miles and on the rooftop, that was the big thing they showed at CinemaCon. So looking back now, I'm glad they kind of emphasized that part of it because it means so much more having seen the whole film, right? So anyways, interesting tidbit. Okay, yeah, but here's the final part because I was talking to my friend of mine and a black friend who's like a very good uh, <laughs> artist and a very intellectual. And we were like talking about that because we had seen the theories and like we were both like, yeah, that's pretty cool if they did do that and like do that. That's pretty dope if they got it in. And we're like, ooh, but like, ooh, we don't want to see what happens. And the whole Chappelle of it all, I don't want to see what happens when <laughs> we have to have the cultural conversation about if Miles and Gwen like fall in love and what the fuck that's going to be. <laughs> oh my God. If Spider-Verse goes there, I don't, and really just goes there and then like, and the thing I like about the movie is I don't think it'll ever be like out, out at about like pretty prominent out there. And you know, I get why it's an animated kids aimed movie, but like, I don't know. I just think it's going to be, it's going to get real interesting when they see how they stick this landing because yeah, I mean, I'm ready for that. I'm like, Hey man, I'm, that's cool, whatever. But like, I don't know. The cultural conversation is going to get messy. We're not very good at subtlety these days, guys. Uh, to anybody listening, Twitter is not going to be a very good place. For Elon, let, let me revise that. Elon's Twitter is not going to be the very great place to have this cultural conversation, right? Um, for what some people think started as like a black Spider-Man movie, it's going to get it's going to get messy. But I'm here for it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, you're not wrong, especially with things that are happening in the country in terms of like banning drag shows and stuff, right? Like, not, people not are taking that. Did you see the old nationals? In California yesterday, there was fighting between groups over a school board, yeah. like actual riots in police over a school board voting on, on like, like essentially LGBTQ plus and, and trans rights in, in schools. And there was like you know, actual fighting and violence outside because of it. It's like, yeah. it's insane. But man, fucking good on this team and Sony and Sony Animation for doing that in a movie that's crushing the box office and that's like the greatest fucking review and audience scores ever, right? So yeah, um, if anything can do it, if any people can do it, it's this team, right? So good yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Um, cool. Anything else we want to say about this? You know, I want go see it. People. Holy shit! It's a fucking movie of the year. Slaps like it's fucking. Oh yeah, Daniel Pemberton and Metro Boomin soundtrack fucking slaps. It's yeah, a, yeah. Annihilate already a classic. Right yeah. up there with Shell Shocked. Shell Shocked, yeah. Venom, 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 Venom. Um, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. There's so many things to glow about. I know we keep going on this, but like. Like Hobie, like what an awesome character! Like Jessica oh Drew, God, but yeah, Issa Rae, like fucking I mean, incredible! We've, we've like done anything? We haven't said no. Really. It, it's just there's so many amazing things we take it for granted. But like, these characters Daniel, are just like iconic. Like, dude, somebody put up a tweet like generational talent of Daniel Kaluuya, and there's just like him from Get Out. <laughs> um, nope, um, Judas and the Black, or no, not Judas and the Black Side. What was that movie? Oh, oh, I did oh. see that one. Uh, um, oh fuck, Prisoner, not Prisoners. Uh, it had like. It had um, your girl Elizabeth Debicki in it. Brian, I think Brian Tyree Henry was in it, and he played a guest. No, you're right. It is Judas and the Black Messiah. Is the one where he yeah, played it was Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. No, that he was in that, but he it was the one he where he played a gangster and he was scary as fuck. And it, I think oh. it maybe was Queen and Slim. No, 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 no. Oh man, I have to look it up. I'm I'm fucking up right now, so I'll look it up. But um, 
it was like it was a crime drama movie, and Elizabeth Debicki's in it. Daniel Kaluuya is like a bunch of people, and it's about a bunch of wives that like owe money. Oh, widows. Widows. Yeah. Widows. Yeah. Yeah. Widows. That was cool. Like, yeah, he's in that. Yeah. And he's fucking nuts in that. That shit was yeah. amazing. Steve McQueen. Yeah. Name, Steve McQueen. His yeah, Spider Punk was definitely one of my favorites coming out of this for sure. Like, I just love the punk rock, like, like the that he like lives his life punk rock. Like, as soon as all that shit goes down, they start chasing him. He's like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." And then it it's just so fitting that he's the one that gets Gwen, you know, her bracelet back and like all that stuff or his bracelet, but. All that stuff was just so great. Like Hobie's just so just, good because he doesn't do much, and he doesn't. And Daniel Kaluuya is so good at this. He doesn't say much, but when he just like his timing, and I know they were in booths and yeah. stuff. Just the way he drops the lines, like he just eggs shit on, <laughs> like causes shit. Yeah. Well, he's like, I'm not gonna do what you say, and he's like, Good. <laughs> just like yeah, yeah. In the background all the time in the peanut gallery, like yeah. it's amazing. Like he's just such a great <laughs> character. And he's, every every line he says to me. How are you cooler under the mask? I was this cool the whole time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is just really like good. total punk rock and yeah, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was really he was really, really fun. Um I hope they do with more with like Jessica Drew and the third I mean, it seems like they're setting that up, you know, that she's gonna have like a, a turn where she's gonna, you know, sort of support this mission that Gwen is on and stuff, but I felt like as cool as she was, like sort of in the intro, it's like she's kind of ends up just being sort of second fiddle to twenty ninety nine. Um, sort of, she does of carry a lot of that weight though. She does carry a lot of screen time. Her her intro yeah. action sequence where she comes in like pregnant on the bike is like yeah, pretty so wild. Dope. Yeah, but uh, a very cool character. She's the de, de facto mentor of Gwen, which is kind of cool. But yeah, but to sure. your point though, you said one thing about like kind of Gwen and that team is kind of on their own to join Miles. But like yeah. as far as we know. Uh, this version Jessica Drew is going to be Team Miguel and then the whole fucking the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Essentially, I'm sure they're going to team up for a greater threat. And, and Spot yeah. is still out there, you know, messing up everything. So um, Spot was like, it really, I mean, it was a testament to like these filmmakers that they were able to make that character as like fucked up and crazy as <laughs> like, he's practically Dr. Manhattan by the end of this thing. <laughs> yeah. So like, I thought, I thought that was, I mean, that was a real kind of impressive Dude, way that they crazy so haunted. That, but it's crazy that they took the bagel guy from the first film and have <laughs> yeah. made him a threat yeah. to the entire 100%. fucking Spider-Man multiverse. The bagel yeah. guy who was a who was a throwaway gag in the first film. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. By the time this is over, like this thing is going to weave together so well. Like no pun intended, but like it's going to weave together so well. Like every little thing is like a thing in just it's going to look yeah. like somebody actually wrote like the most genius trilogy ever. Yeah. yeah. Who would have thought going from like Kingpin and seeing all these versions of like lizard and vulture or whatever, going to the, <laughs> this bagel guy spot thing, but yeah. the way it unfolds and develops, like you said, weaves through it all. It's just, it's just genius writing to be honest. So um, yeah, I mean just really the cool. retcons of the first film into this film are just, are just so good. Like, and, and it makes you realize how much you they were did such a good job of Into the Spider-Verse that they do the fucking three-card money trick that all the things they were able to retcon in this movie, you never really asked questions about in the first one. Like, there's no online fucking beef about, there's a major plot hole. Where did Miles the Spider come from? Like, nobody gave a fuck. Like, the spider came, yeah. he got bit, and, like, we never asked about it again, really. 
And now this movie's like, nah, that was a major fucking multiversal mistake. Like it yeah. fucked everything up. And like you were never supposed to do that. And it's like, oh right, that was like some weird spider that wasn't like fucking from this universe. That's pretty crazy. And like what yeah. that means and, and like all that other shit. So yeah, man, they are just cooking. So Yeah. That is like I really that was one of the things that I really enjoyed too towards the end of the movie is, you know, when we sort of like you get the reveal of 42 and then Miles was like never really supposed to be bid and and all of that. Like I like I loved the idea of like going to like Earth 42 and seeing a world without Spider-Man. And it is kind of this like hopeless, joyless place like you know, we see that in comics all the time, like Elseworld stories, you know, where Gotham City without Batman or whatever. But the way that the movie sets up the like canon events as being kind of necessary to like stabilize the entire universe kind of makes it like even more interesting, like how how essential Spider-Man is to essentially like, you know, <laughs> like world peace and stuff or something, you know, like a world without him is just kind of a soulless crime ridden place. The, um, the meta out. layer, the meta layer of this is that this only works in story and as a franchise because Sony only owns Spider-Man. Right. right so yeah. Spider-Man is the, the linchpin to like every fucking universe. Yeah. Like he's the centerpiece, the fulcrum, whatever you call it. Right. Um, which is wild because in any other, if it was Marvel, they'd be like, oh, this universe has the Avengers. This version has the Spider-Man teams up with whoever. It's like, no, no. It's just spider heroes yeah. in every world and everything relies on that, You know, which is wonderful and insane and <laughs> it harkens back yeah, to all of our crazy. other conversations about like what happens when Marvel owns everything. Well, you don't get into the fucking Spider-Verse, the best superhero movie there is, right? So um, that's crazy. I love that. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, you know, in any other, in the MCU, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if Spider-Man isn't in this universe because we have Iron Man and the Hulk and like all these other people. But but yeah, I mean, it literally the meta of it, just like you're saying, it's like <laughs> this is the only hero that can make them money either. So uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a uh, very important yeah to the Sony world as well. But um, cool. Anything else you guys want to say about that? Other before we kind of do a little Flash and Transformers preview. I mean, yeah, I think we, you know, got our point across. Like, people should definitely go see it. I was surprised at some of my friends that, like, didn't go see the, like, didn't see Spider-Verse, mostly just because, like, you know, they're not, like, big animated fans and uh, or animation fans. And, um, like, this does seem to have galvanized them to, like, get their shit together and get caught up on that and go see it in theaters just because, I mean, it's, it is one of those movies where, like, you know, you, you have to see this on a big screen. It'll be fine on our TVs. It'll, you know, it'll look great, but it's just such a big, beautiful, colorful. I have a question for you, actually, before we move on. Was the sound fucked up for you guys at all? Uh, uh, oh, I, okay. I heard about that online. No, my, mine was okay. Yeah. So, no, like, 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 here near me is like pretty new and like kind of like really worked out sound systems. So, no, my shit was pretty tight. This is pretty weird. Like, I've heard from kind of multiple people sort of in my in my sphere that you know not locally like within you know other outlets and stuff who had said that especially a lot of the parts that were kind of like the I am Gwen Stacy and blah blah blah, blah when they're doing kind of the rewind stuff where and I felt it kind of throughout the entire film 
it was almost like the entire like center channel was like quieter or something than like the rest of it. So, but it was, it was weird. Like, I don't know if it was just like, there was some unfinished or un sort of like balanced version that was being presented at some of these press screenings because of a certain way that it had to be presented or something. Or if it was just that, you know, some of us had theaters where because of how bombastic all the sound design is in this movie that you notice it if you're sitting in the wrong seat. Yeah, that's it, right? You guys look out class, bro. That's it. No, man, I mean, from the very first thing, I mean, the movie starts with like, let's start with like a, yeah. you know, like in a different way or something. And it starts with just like literally a beat of music. And it's just like, yeah, not from the, I mean, that shit was perfect when I, I mean, going in like everything. It's interesting. Perfect to me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, non-issue for most people, but yeah, that's a, uh-huh. a mystery yeah. for another day then. Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster, which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard in your browser being a creator like us has never been easier zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place that all is very exciting rob so zencaster if you want to sound your best zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production A frequent problem that we run into is when we come onto this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest... Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it. All of Ben's girlfriends in one place. Coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast... Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past. With Zencaster, not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. Um, okay, so did you see did you see Transformers, Kofi? I, I keep telling you I have to go tomorrow night. Oh, that's Same. right. You did say you did say tomorrow night. That's right. I yeah, me and Rob both have to go out and see it. So, so we don't have to do like a ton. Yeah, we don't have to do a ton without. I mean, the Paramount movie. So it's all good. No, go ahead. You want you to knock that out? We no, don't no spoilers, Benny. 
Yeah, no spoilers, but fuck that. Don't you try to wriggle off the hook here because I know I did say I'd commit to it. Four out of five. We know. I did say I'd commit to a score. I did say I'd commit to a score. For context, because this podcast we don't utilize enough of what this podcast was originally conceived (laughs) to be, which was exactly what I'm doing tonight, which is a dovetail between talking about the relevant things that are happening, but also referencing a lot of shit that did happen. Now, yeah, going sure. back to what did happen, we three have a pretty infamous relationship with a Transformers franchise. <laughs> now, I believe Rob and I started building up Screen Rant and when Dark of the, or not Dark of the, um, Revenge of the Fallen, Fallen. was about yeah, to come out. Fallen, and yeah. it was like this big hope that it was going to get darker and be this awesome like Transformers, the movie style like darkness to it and you know then we just had to settle in for the fact that all of these were gonna be fucking trash and <laughs> so you know man bringing it full went. circle writer strike was the second one that's yeah. what fucked it up yeah, right that's right michael bay yes. wrote that shit <laughs> yeah that's right they were making racist <laughs> jokes on set without oh, yeah, yeah without a script yeah yeah uh, <laughs> uh, well yeah and we that. i think we referenced it before too but like our boy mike eisenberg also that was when screen got called out was the third movie the third yeah. one yeah when i got called woken up out of my bed with the yeah. yeah saying bay was ang- angry with me and i was like why is she angry with me I took her out on a good date last night, but uh, no, Michael Bay was angry at us and like, yeah, that, that was an interesting day. And then he turned out that line. Fuck. Like he was lying his ass off. We, yeah, we we were right about that. And yeah, years later it came out that they were just fucking, they were just trying to, you know, Bill Belichick, the whole 3d thing. And so like, yeah, yeah, they were deflating the cameras. And so like, (laughs) so we were right about that one. So, yeah, kids, we had to go to war with Michael Bay. He he made us look bad at our outlet, and it turned out years later that we were right on the money and our sources were right. So, you know, yeah. entertainment game. It's so funny. It was funny because I was – and then, like, I was on set for the last one, the last night or whatever. And it was funny because Bay was, like, super nice to us, super cool. Like, you know, probably didn't remember that we were the people that had, like – he had to go right on his own personal website and defend oh. against and stuff. But – but like, yeah, I mean, it, you know, just kind of a, we definitely have a weird history. I I mean, the joke for listeners that are listening to the podcast that like didn't listen to the old thing is that I've been an apologist for these movies a lot. And I've been, I tended to like them more than most people. Apologists, and, that's how you're framing this? What did you give? Let's get down to facts. What did you give <laughs> Transformers? What did you get to Four. Transformers Dark of the Moon? Dark of the Moon. Uh, let's see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I love, I like Dark of the Moon. It's the fourth one was with the shit, with the shit really out of control. Then like four well, and five. I, I, I just need, I need to, I need to see the. Okay, okay, okay. Dark of the Moon. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm looking at Screen Rant right now. It's just, it's just Dark of the Moon Screen Rant. It takes just one second. Four out of five. Four out of five. Yeah, what standard. Did you give Age of Extinction. Okay, oh, that's what it's called. Age of Extinction. This is where shit went off the rails. Yeah, for sure. This is this is the one that's very hard for me to defend. If, oh, I did I did review that one as well. Uh, Age of Extinction. What about the last uh, night? I don't think I reviewed the last night because I was on set. So three point five out of five for Age of Extinction. But I didn't review last night because I was on set for that one, and that was our you know we we did a set visit for that one. I don't remember. That, that was the one I was on. Yeah. Um, screen. Good for us getting back in. <laughs> After yeah, fucking yeah, fighting fucking with Michael real. Bay, <laughs> so you okay. can tell you okay. can see where the you can see where things shift because then Sandy reviewed <laughs> this one and he gave it a two out of five. There you go. Yeah. I reviewed. I reviewed. I didn't even remember this till right now. I reviewed Transformers of the Last Night for ComicBook.com, 
and I gave it a let's 4. see, five out of five. No. <laughs> one out of five. So, yeah, that movie was trash. Good for you, Kobe. My soul is intact. <laughs> is intact yeah. Let's see what I like. I like to read. I'm so just dissociative that I like to read back my own stuff because I truly don't remember what is what I said. Uh, let's see. In the end, Transformers: The Last Night is two and a half hours of life you will never get back. <laughs> this is like Green Lantern levels. <laughs> oh yeah, and damage to your brain you do not want. It has big robots fighting as promised, and introduces a bunch of iconic characters from the Transformers canon to carry the franchise forward, which is the only reason it scores any points at all. Wow. Is, this, is that, that was, the Anthony Hopkins one? Yeah. Yeah. Last night. Oh yeah, that was Hopkins. silly shit. Yeah. Because he had to like night to the round table and shit. And that's what oh. like Optimus was evil and stuff. Molly gave uh Bumblebee four out of five. Oh, I Bumblebee's I, pretty I fucking good though. Me. Yeah, Brent. Yeah, Bumblebee's yeah. good. Oh, I Travis Knight, baby. Oh, I got it back yeah. at Bayonet for us. Oh, God. Here we go. Michael Bay has famously or infamously ignored recurring criticisms of his approach to the Transformers franchise. And in that not-so-proud tradition, Transformers The Last Night stands as a final testament to the director's unyielding resolve to make the silliest and most bombastic Transformer films possible. Yeah. Fucking real. I would have. I, I think, I think I the worm kind of. If I could meet him. The worm kind of turned for me with uh, with last night. I would not have given that a particular. Oh, that's what it took. That's what it took. Yeah, I was just I was just one behind. I was just one behind. I was just one behind. Ben's like waiting till they're cracking the Capitol door windows to be like, hmm. I don't know if this was a great idea for this. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's reflective of like where I'm at now. Like, I I was joking on Twitter about how I'd give like. Rise of the Beast, a four out, of, you know, like a four out of five or four point five. But I'd probably be like a three out of five or like a three point five, maybe on it. I would. But, but actually, though, like if this was like, but actually, Ben, it'd be four out of five, right? Like, but for reals, I'm not just joking here. Like for reals, you give it four out of five if you. No, I, I definitely would not have done that. I, I didn't like it that much. Not just because we're making fun of you now. I mean, no, no, like- no. I. <laughs> No, I mean, if I could go back and re-review the other ones, I would definitely not give Age of Extinction a fucking like three point five out of five now either. I mean, I think I've I've definitely like, you know, come I to see the light on this shit a bit. Arguing with you about how fucking stupid the dinosaurs were in that one, and I love me some Dinobots, but like that yeah. shit was just god awful. And you were like, no, I fucking like it because you just like the idea of Optimus riding. Yeah, something from the prehistoric era. You just got such a hard on for that. It was what? insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Curious. I am kind of curious what you're going to think of this Beast Wars stuff because, like, Love without without spoiling anything, they're not in this movie much. It's not I like know. Dinobot level. They're only in like about a third of it. Well, let me tell you something, Ben. Your boy Rob Keyser debuted the exclusive. Yes, character. Uh, official video on the Maximals. Yeah. But before that, I also did the exclusive reveals of the first toys for these Maximal characters and stuff like that. My disappointment, and I know it's the first time we're seeing the Beast Wars characters like on screen in live action. Um, like my favorite's the ones like not shown, probably not in the movie, but it's certainly not shown in the marketing materials. And it's like Tigatron and Dinobot. They <laughs> were like no, probably not in the movie. So yeah, not I, I like Cheetor yeah. though. But um, yeah, anyways, not, sorry, Ben. Tell us, tell us. No, I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, like I don't want to talk a lot about it because I, like you know, people haven't seen it yet and stuff, and I'm, I am kind of curious for you guys to see it. But you know, like there's a lot that it does better. Like the human stuff is significantly better. It's probably not as good as it is in Bumblebee, or it's at least as good as it was in Bumblebee. It just kind of depends on, you know, what people enjoyed about the human stuff in Bumblebee. I think the human characters in this one are 
the stakes for them are higher. And like, I kind of relate to the, the, their sort of plight a little bit more than I did Haley Steinfeld's like, you know, sort of, you know, this divorce family and, you know, kind of trying to find her place in this new family and stuff like that. Um, as much as I love Bumblebee, I do think the human stuff is better in this. And I will say that, and I said this when I was tweeting about it, it is probably the closest to a cartoon adaptation of any of the transformer stuff as we've seen, because there's like only like six humans in the entire thing outside of like crowd shots and stuff like it. And it doesn't even really jump between them. It pretty much just hangs with, with the two kind of main characters for the majority of the movie. And so the majority of this movie is like three or four or five or six transformers standing in a room, you know, like talking about what they want to do. And there's a couple of humans standing there or whatever too. So that stuff is like a significant, I think, improvement. Um, and like, there's some fun stuff. Like Optimus is like a cynical kind of like, he's sort of pissed off that they're there. He doesn't really like humans. So they kind of explore like a little bit of a, you know, twist on his character before he kind of becomes, you know, like sees the value in partnering with humans and stuff. Um, and Mirage is really fun. I would say, I would say too, but Pete Davidson, you know, owning summer as a transformer, who knew? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big Pete Davidson guy. Like I don't like, you know, I thought it was stupid when he showed up in fast X, but he, he is genuinely pretty fun as Mirage and Mirage ends up being a really good kind of foil to the Noah human character in a way that I think is, is a lot better probably than the, the wit wiki stuff was, you know, looking back on the original film and, and stuff. It's not like a boy. Like in a, they made everybody car. act like they had just snorted the greatest cocaine in the earth. And then had to <laughs> that scene. Yeah. It's literally every scene of transformers. Everybody's. Turned yeah. Up to yeah. It is. No, all for sure. Human slapstick cartoons. But yeah, I mean, you know, which is just like Bay and a camera doing so uncomfortably close. Yeah, I know for sure. <laughs> Of shorts. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean the action is the action's good. The final battle's cool. I mean it kind of you see what the final battle looks like in in that shot of the Maximals that has been in all the trailers. It's kind of that one shot take of oh yeah primal like swinging, and then it cuts down to where like Bumblebee is and stuff like that, and <laughs> um or Mirage. I can't remember if it's Bumblebee or Mirage, but um but yeah, there's some dumb stuff in it. I mean, that I think people are going to like see happen and be like, well, that's not going to last. But, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's fun. I think they, I think they did a good job, but you know, would I, is it Bumblebee? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's as solid around as Bumblebee was, Hmm. but it, but it is like, I think I described it as kind of being like a combination of Bumblebee with a bit more epic scale to it but not where the Bay movies went. Can I ask you some little questions here? Um, what's the star yeah, rating? What's, what was your star rating real quick? I just forgot what you said. Yeah, it's the first question. I think I, I genuinely, I, sorry guys, I'm like choking. I genuinely think I'd be like a three or a 3.5. Okay. Um, does Bumblebee speak? No. Same thing. He speaks through the radio. He's been watching like movies. So he speaks through like a lot of movie lines. Why is this so important to them? Okay. Anyways, did you, I'm, you know, I heard there's a, you know, a post-credit scene. Did you, did you watch that? Uh, I did watch the post-credit scene. So there's a mid and a post, there's a mid and a pre-credit scene. 
Oh, uh, okay. The mid credit scene is more. It's like, no, I mean, they're both important, but like the pre credit scene is the one that's kind of like, oh, shit. Okay, that's where they may head with this. Okay. The mid credit scene is more kind of resolving like a, a thing that happened in the movie and kind of okay. wondering like the fate of a character and stuff. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. it does clearly kind of set up what would be potentially next. Possibly. I, I want to talk to you guys about what that pre-credit scene is because right. tomorrow it, night. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it because it kind of it goes in a direction I wasn't exactly expecting, and it's well, okay. kind of one we've talked about before. It's a Unicron okay. book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, okay. Any other questions? We did get uh, what you call it's balls. Yeah. Oh, the, what do they call that yeah. thing? They call Devastator. Oh, Devastator. Was it Devastator? They renamed yeah. Devastator because Devastator was in the first one as well, under different as a different character. Yeah. I think they screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, they did give us some like weird name, didn't they? Grogu or some yeah. shit. Grogu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, My wife just all right, cool, man. I'm glad you yeah, saw. I think you. I, I mean, I think you guys had fun. I don't think you guys are going to go into it and walk out of it and be like, oh, what the fuck? I think it's like, it's one of those, but it also I didn't, I mean, I felt like say. Bumblebee, Bumblebee did feel like to me, like this, like it was like, they looked at everything they fucked up by the end and they were like, okay, you know, this is the kind of movie people want. And they created something that was actually quite special. This doesn't feel I, as special to me, but it feels like, you know, it's a good Transformers movie. I'm actually surprised. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but just just the marketing of it all, them having what seems to be a lot of Transformers characters and certainly factions. Um, given that Travis Knight, like here's the thing: like Michael Bay, we kind of <laughs> knew what to expect, and it just got out of control. But with the yeah. Travis Knight, you know, who comes from Leica, and he's and you and he, he was such a fan of this, you could tell he's putting in some more intimate story. Then for this one, you have Stephen Cable Jr., who did Creed Two, which I fucking love. And he's a massive fan of Beast Wars and Transformers as well. So yeah. I, I was, I was kind of hoping – I feel like this is one of those cases where like Paramount Hasbro were like, no, no, no. No more of that Bumblebee shit. You need to blow this thing up. We need big action, yeah. tons of characters. You know what I mean? So I feel yeah, like – sure. I feel like that's what happened in this case. But so I, I hope yeah. his own personal story <clears throat> got through, you know? Yeah, I can't remember like if um, – I think it does – I think it does like – I think the themes and kind of the the human story and how that relates to the Autobot story – like it does, I think it, I think it does make it through. I think the, um, like I was looking at box office, but yeah, Bumblebee did like not make a lot of money. It had really, really that's strong it. reviews, that's but why. it didn't make a lot of money. So that's probably, yeah. I mean, but, but, but the whole thing was downtrending though. Cause it, especially domestically, cause it, 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 yeah. it became such dog shit. And I, I really like the first one upon rewatch. I love three, but everything yeah. else was garbage until Bumblebee. So, um, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, it would have gotten another half star from me if we'd had another Cybertron scene, and we don't in this one. So, oh, like a G one style sort of thing, yeah, or whatever? exactly. Because like, yeah. I fucking loved all of that so much. Um, that statue that I have in my case behind me in my office, like the like the Prime One uh, Optimus, oh, okay. that's like two feet tall. That's the Bumblebee, like Cybertron Optimus design. <clears throat> like I loved that. I thought all that was great. You don't get that. You get um, you get a Maximals kind of prequel intro instead. So you see where like the Maximals were, and it's but it's a bit smaller in scale and stuff. But uh, okay, you want to head over talk Flash really quick? We've all seen it now. Sure. Um, 
I uh, like it was my most anticipated movie of the year. Oh right? yeah. So, um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to say it's my favorite movie of the year, but I really, really did enjoy it. I do think like a lot of the hype for it has been justified. Um, it's a fun story. I think the Michael Keaton stuff actually works as someone who, you know, loved Michael Keaton's Batman as a kid and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it all worked. And I think like the way that it all sort of concludes itself, you know, we can debate that final scene that was only shown recently for the first time about like what that might mean for the, for the, you know, future of the universe or something like that as much as we want. But, but the way the story wraps up and the way the antagonist kind of is, is sort of like that storyline wraps up and, Barry's sort of flashpoint revelations and everything. I thought all that was super, super great. I really, really, I really dug it. Um, so from like an emotional standpoint and storytelling standpoint and just character standpoint and action and everything, I think it, I think it kind of hits all the notes I wanted it to hit. I don't know if it's, you know, it does, does it beat man of steel for me as being like one of the best DC movies or something? I don't know if it does that, but it's certainly up there with me, you know, with, with like Wonder Woman and, and Man of Steel for me as like one of the better ones for sure. There you go. Well, I'm glad you were satisfied, Ben, given what you went on yeah, record saying. Yeah. Good vanilla review. I missed I missed these. Well, yeah. look, when, when this comes out in, I guess, a week and a half or whatever, we can, there's a lot of fucking <laughs> implications yeah. to talk about, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll go next because I, I was, I saw this back in April at CinemaCon, and the version we saw was the one they were screening early saying it's incomplete. And, and it really was because we don't have that final scene and there was no credits or post credits that we saw. So, yeah. uh, but at the time, I agree with you. It, it was really, really fun. It played really, really well at CinemaCon. The, the people were like, the reactions for everyone, all the you know exhibitors and industry people there were very, very positive. They thought it was like a fun, ideal blockbuster movie. They were able to salvage something out of layers of awful situations between its star and the franchise and the studio merger acquisition. Like, there's a lot of problems behind the scenes and not to mention the fucking 20 scripts and five directors they went through to get here. But um uh yeah, I thought it showed. I thought I thought it was really ambitious. They, they they showed things in this film I never thought they would do. Certainly not in the very first Flash movie in live action. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly in recent years, it's one of DC's better best films. I mean, I, I did also really enjoy James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, but I also think from what I saw and the version I saw, it was pretty effective at serving as a bridge between what came before and what we think is coming next from the James Gunn, Peter Safran reset of the universe. So yeah, um, yeah I, I like a lot of the concerns or topics people are talking about going to this movie are handled in very interesting and surprising ways, I'll say. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, there's a lot of controversy around Ezra Miller. Uh, the, the role is very complicated to play because they are effectively playing two characters that are different and then yeah. playing off each other is quite a dynamic that you know no other actor in this genre has had to do really. So that was interesting, and I think they 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 pulled that off. Um, Bro, so. Paul Rudd like had to interact with like hundreds of Paul Rudd Ant Man. Oh yeah, total CGI man. It was quantum <laughs> it's all quantum mania, bro. <laughs> Yeah, the ant pile, uh, which, I, by the way, I love that scene. And, and uh, I think Ben was the one who didn't like that. I forget. Someone didn't like yeah, that scene. I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I liked it. it. I liked it a lot. Uh, unified by their love of their daughter, Ben. Come on. 
I know, it's relatable. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but it's also, I mean, and this is very obvious given how they handle Barry Allen in this universe. It's also very funny. There's a lot of heartfelt moments with the family stuff, but there's also a lot of funny bits, like really, really funny little bits that uh, they, they pull off pretty well. So, um, oh, I'll say one more thing. This is the, uh, you know, Andy and, and Barbara Machete uh, project, right? So Andy being the director and Barbara being the producer and sister. Um, there's a lot of talk about Andy coming back to do The Brave and the Bold, which is the, the, the Batman film under James Gunn and Peter Safran. What's funny and what I'm worried about is that in this movie, um, we get two Batman <laughs> or maybe more. Who knows when the final movie comes out? But in terms of like the Batfleck and the Michael Keaton you see in the marketing, I actually think the action sequences of suited up Batman are the weaker parts of the movie. Um, yeah, the reason I is the Batfleck sequence is incredibly CGI in the road and just is so goofy. It's not, it should be animated. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel like a person who doesn't have superpowers. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's actually silly and stupid, but the Bruce Wayne parts are great. And the Michael Keaton of it all, who's older and still has a version, some a modified version of the older suit does action sequences, which, don't fit the age of that character either a little bit. As much as I, I really enjoyed seeing it, I love seeing Michael Keaton back, I think it was over the top. So I am concerned now if Andy's the guy doing a Batman movie, given how goofy and CGI the the those action sequences mm. were. It's, it's it's a far cry from the Zack Snyder Batfleck warehouse scene everyone loves, right? So um, I mean, anyways. I think the Batfleck part was a bit better than the – some of the Michael Keaton stuff just because Michael Keaton's age. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah. there's, I, we can't get into like deep spoilers, but I mean, there are things they did in filming and like one scene where it's just clearly somebody with like long yeah, hair. Somebody else. Just, yeah. Like, they were oh like, my we God. Yeah. Any part. We'd have no way to even splice Michael Keaton into this. So we're just yeah. <laughs> yeah. long hair. So it, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think for me, um, and I did this already today, so I'm just kind of feel like I'm rehashing what I'm saying and did it for the uh, hopefully award-winning comic book nation. But um, this, I think, I want to just get the message out to for people to realign their expectations for the Flash because I think people are like thinking superhero blockbuster, but there is a lot of this movie that is really just back to the future comedy and yeah. comedy adventure, True. and that's what. The bulk in some cases, literally, in some cases, yeah, literally, yeah, yeah, like quite literally. But this is, um, yeah, back to the future kind of adventure comedy drama. Like, that's what this is. Is this is really a story about trying to mess with time for very, you know, noble reasons? But you know, it is flat, that's what Flashpoint was. But the superhero DC aspect of it all is really kind of more of a secondary thing to it, right? Uh, Batman is the Doc Brown of it all. Marty's got to get with this other goofy Marty, like Marty often. They don't, we eliminate the time paradox rule. So we don't have to do that whole thing and we can get more extended scenes of Marty being with Marty, you know, and stuff like that. But that's kind of essentially the premise here. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed that, actually. Uh, this is made by, I like the guys who did Vacation reboot and things like that. And there's a lot of comedy in here, like Rob said, and it is much more of a comedy and in some ways, like a kind of satirical superhero movie more than a straight up one. Cause there's a lot of callbacks and jokes to things 
that you know we, we took so seriously before that are now just kind of hokey and we're winking at like Michael Keaton <laughs> dropping the lines with you know yep I'm Batman you know all that yeah it's like cheesy yeah. but it's winking and and then it's funny again and because you realize how silly the whole thing is and so there are parts of this that are so silly and I mean the opening sequence is some of the silliest shit in the world <laughs> yeah. like just yeah the whole yeah it is ridiculous it is. Yeah overwrought and silly and over time, but it sets the, it's very much, and wait, I can't, I don't know. My brain's like trying to make a connection, but these aren't the guys who also did uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Is it? No, like the writers. That's no. Jeffrey Goldstein or Jonathan Goldstein. And those guys did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just really kind of funny and it, it just does certain, offbeat idiosyncratic things like pretty much all throughout this that just made me straight up just kind of like lean into and love the comedy of it. So, I mean, it is a mix. It's a weird mix, but like once you kind of embrace it for what it is, it is good at being its own distinct, like you're not going to confuse this with a Marvel movie in some ways. I mean, you laugh a lot, but it is weird. And there are things that Marvel would never do. There's some like, there's a lot of gross out shit in this that you wouldn't think of that. They just have no problem getting into. Oh, it was Christina Hodson who wrote this. I think I said on my other thing was the vacation guys. And I made that complete mistake, but um, yeah, there, there is, Oh, who also did Bumblebee guys. We're on a real, real tip. Hey, there are some really weird, like idiot, like idiosyncratic moments where, like, yeah, there's like vomiting, so many dick jokes. There's yeah. a whole thing with a tooth and getting weird with teeth. And yeah, there's a lot that's like in this movie. Um, and like I said, that opening sequence is so crazy uh, and weird. So yeah. weird. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, Ezra Miller, they do a really good job in this. And like, it should be a star making turn. But I, I mean, you see people who have really gotten real heated about this online and the controversy, but there are things in this movie that I would have taken out because they're just some, some things are just also uncomfortably on the nose. Like there's a thing with a microwave that I'm like visually with somebody who's been accused of child endangerment and things like that. This is not like, this is not now. It feels like you could be playing a joke. That's inappropriate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know how to take this anymore. Like, so yeah, it can get uncomfortable in parts. And there are things that are said from Miller, like in the movie where you're just like, Ooh, I bet when they were filming this, they thought they got something good here. And then they went back and went like, fuck. Yeah. Now it just possibly sounds so kind of either creepy or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the flash is such a weird, I feel like there's just gonna be case studies of this movie. Maybe it'll be the next DC movie to get a <laughs> its own documentary, but you know, yeah. we have a couple of those Justice League Mortal. It'll be right up there with Justice League Mortal and Superman. Death of Superman Lives, yeah. Death of Superman or Superman Lives, yeah. Um, and all that other good stuff. But there are some pretty wild things that they do with the cameos and things like that. <laughs> that are uh pretty fun. And overall, I, I it's 
weird, but it's like a highly rewatchable like back to the future. I feel like it's a rewatchable movie. Like I could go back and watch this again. Yeah. It's one of the first movies that we saw this summer. I mean, spider verse, I would, I would go back to the theater and watch again if someone wanted this weekend, but it was one of the first ones where (coughs) I was kind of like, man, I think I might want to go try and get some people together and go see that. Like, you know, after having seen it, like I, I definitely, there were things about it where I was like, I want to see that sequence again, or I want to, you know, look at that a bit more closely and, oh, I want to experience that bit again. Yeah, so I, I agree with right. All the like excitement and preconceived notions worn off. Like I just want to see it all again. Um, also I'll say Sasha Kai, uh, Kaye was really good in this. I thought she was a good, uh, super girl. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, seeing those Kryptonians from Man of Steel was always a joy. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun for sure. Uh, anything to add, Rob? Otherwise, we can uh, let me wrap ask. Uh, let me, yeah, let, let me ask. What did you think about the third act? People have been. That's the other thing people are kind of debating right now. It for, for me, there it felt like maybe it's the visual quality of a call. Because I'm fucking. I'm drinking too much wine, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> the visual quality of it might be the issue, but it felt like too much um, in terms of like the big stuff they show. Um, let's just say the speed force of it all, I guess. But when it comes to like the landing, the heartfelt family moments, I still think they nailed that across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, th- I, well, I think I'm just, before I lose my thought here, uh, I'm also fading, but, um, I, I just think that people are saying like, kind of, they wish there was a bigger battle in the scale that is kind of advertised to what the third act is going to be is much smaller than you think. It's yeah. like basically one soundstage or whatever. But yeah. um, I think I like that better because, again, once I realized going in and like from the first sequence in this, you you can tell this is that that opening sequence that we're kind of like, ooh, I don't know about is the kind of thing that tests you to realize, like, do you realize this is not going to be a straight up superhero movie? This is going to be like a comedy, even satirical in a little bit of a way of 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 superhero movies. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad the third act did something different. Cause I'm so sick of like the heroes just fighting either like CGI armies or, or, or some weird mirror version of themselves. Yeah. And this movie does not necessarily, all I'll say is doesn't necessarily reinvent the wheel in that department in those departments, but yeah, the way they put it together is kind of interesting. And the way they do things is with it and is kind of interesting and it's an interesting spin on it. So I kind of dug in it and it reinforces, like you said, there, there are actual family drama and character thematic moments throughout this movie. There isn't a clear story in a thematic line. And yeah. I think the third act helps really bring that home and nail it. Yeah. I course. thought, <clears throat> yeah, I felt the same way. Like I, I know there were people, and I I can see that. I mean, the the end of the film, in some ways, it feels like it ends kind of abruptly because of what happens, and we like won't you know we won't sort of talk about what exactly that is. But yeah, you know, I can see why people who were expecting there to be almost like a Man of Steel or BVS type you know throwdown at the end. There's a lot of fun moments, and there's a lot of big you know set piece stuff that that happens that's fun to watch as kind of the climax to the film. But, but it's also mixed in with some kind of like, you know, CGI sequences that, 
that I know people have been sort of saying like, don't look real and yeah, you know, and, but I don't know that like didn't bother me because of kind of the context through which we were seeing that CGI. It's like, you know, again, I don't want to like spoil it, but it's like, I don't know what a, what else you could have done and B it's Uh, kind of like, there's a, you know, don't even start this, but I have to now get into the ant, into the ant slot here. Ben, don't even, Ben, don't you start. (laughs) Don't you start, man. <laughs> ben, don't you start. Because, what? like, don't even do – don't do this, Ben. Don't you dare. <laughs> I think we've come long enough to at least get past Polar Express levels, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, Bay, this isn't Beowulf, but some of it certainly looks like it. Um, yeah. It. Like I don't I don't disagree with that. It's like I don't know how to talk about it without talking about spoilers. But it's like, look, they're, they're distracting us with some of the fucking crazier things they're showing. That's 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 the fucking card yeah. they're playing. They yeah, obviously they can't. They've so overspent on this fucking movie. They're like balancing, like how do we like make it look good, but also we're probably taking a big fat fucking L on this. Um, so <laughs> they don't want to yeah, spend yeah. more. So, yeah. but there's too ambitious for their own game, which is funny because like. They are taking big, big swings with some of these things. But in the end, it really is an intimate story, like you guys were saying. So with with a few characters doing very personal things. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We, hey, man, we should probably slow down here. does, brother. Like they got to sell us this half, the, the, like this slightly enjoyable version for theaters. Just enjoyable enough. <laughs> then at home video, we'll finally get like the Flash fully rendered edition. You know, then for <laughs> the director's oh, cut, God. and then like yeah. four yeah, part Flash. Max yeah, series. Okay, I was gonna say, to make, <laughs> you know, yeah, Flash featuring the It Two kids, like, and you know, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, well, we should probably hold off there because like, there's yeah, a lot yeah, to say about what we think is gonna happen next week. There's so much to break down. Yeah, um, I will say this though: at CinemaCon, to bring it back to that, during the Warner Brothers panel uh, before they to screen the whole film. They also showed the Aquaman sequel footage. And that, yeah. one, that went over like a big fucking wet aquatic fart. Like uh. <laughs> it looks terrible. <laughs> like no one gives a shit. <laughs> I, I think, and I don't know until I see it. I think that's going to be like an Alice in Wonderland situation where the first one inexplicably made a billion dollars. And then the second one's going to be a massive fucking failure. So, um, I don't know. We'll see when we get closer to release. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I mean, my excitement for that is is pretty low for sure. It's also just like this weird. Even after seeing this movie, like I still don't fully understand how that thing is going to exist in some ways. Yeah, but, that's, and that's why not, didn't that's they flip it? Split. Why didn't Aquaman come out now and do Flash this fall or something? It seems yeah. so weird. They were always going to do, but it doesn't make any sense. How yeah. They did. And I mean, that's All that's not a spoiler for anybody. Like Liz, like where there isn't anything that we can say like would really have affected Aquaman in this movie. Like it, no, it's, it's kind of standalone, but what does that yeah. mean? Now? It's like, yeah, um, it's very, it's very weird, but, um, all right, well, that'll, uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of podcast X. We covered a lot of ground <laughs> this week. I'm surprised. Um, yeah, we actually got through all that stuff. So, and we got a little bonus, like comic book nation grenade thrown into the middle, trying to bring us <laughs> back to the screen Rant underground podcast. It's what I do. Yo, yeah. Um, you can always follow me at Ben Kendrick on all the things, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, spoutable, like whatever else you want to follow me on. Um, check out what I'm doing over at Static Media. We run Looper and Slash Film and SVG and you know a bunch of other sites you probably run into once in a while. Wait, Mr. Where's Rob SVG? 
Oh, it's their you gaming have SV, site. You VD? You yeah, I got gaming site. Yeah, it's a gaming site. It's a little, Dude, it's a little baby guy. The games but... give you VD. <laughs> no G, man, G, G. Yeah. Oh, G. VD is that the new shit? G. SVG. 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 Like <laughs> scalable vector graphics, man. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it comes from, but I assume. Well, it is. impressive if you're right. I'm way too yeah. drunk. I mean, to I don't know um, graphics <laughs> the graphics of STDs. I don't get out like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah. Uh, speaking of game sites, we just acquired a hardcore gamer. So we got Game yeah. Rant, which which I created and Ben worked for for many years back mm-hmm. in the in the Kofi Ben Rob era. And then we have the Gamer, which we created, and we own Dual Shockers. We got four dedicated game sites. Plus, we cover games on ScreamRant.com, where I'm at. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys. It's K E Y E S. And this week, actually starting tomorrow and this weekend, is Summer Games Fest. It's like the new E3. So oh, yeah. if you're into, um, there's a, I know we're, there's a bunch of personal shit going on. I was supposed to have two people there, and both had like family and health issues, so they can't be there. But we know of a bunch of unannounced things coming up. So, uh, needless to say, if you're following SVG or whatever the fuck Ben's talking about, mm-hmm. or our five gaming sites, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff coming tomorrow, yeah. next, this weekend. So That's it. stick around. Uh, Kofi Outlaw. Ah, uh, he fell asleep, so now I'm the Kofi Outlaw of Zer NR, and you can find me <laughs> over at comicbook.com, where I do my written workings, because I am so good with the wordsings, and then you can also find me hosting the hopefully one day award-winning Comic Book Nation podcast show. The only show that does it all for geek culture and the one in five years, everyone will be like, let's make a show that does everything about geek culture again. Just so I can, <laughs> you know, pee in the corner of their floor or something. So, <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to find me, I'm over there. Like I said, I'm already asleep. So please take everything. This is, uh, this is like the dark tie from Yellow Jackets version of Kofi Outlaw talking right now. It's like the... Is that, I don't even know if that's racist, but I feel like it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a uh, there's a there's so a bad. race there's a racist do that anymore. There's a I'm racist kidding. robot joke in uh, Rise of the Beasts, by the way. Oh, it's like totally like a stab at it's like a stab at the Michael Bay movies. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like funny. he he's like calling back on that. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. funny. Oh man, do they bring those two robots back? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking skids and mud flap or whatever they were called. You remember yeah. their names? Oh my I, god. I remember. I remember their little ice cream trucks or whatever wow. they were. Yeah. Oh, you rewatch that. Right, let's... You rewatch that shit every day and you're like, I'm a four star man. <laughs> four star uh, but man. all right, well that'll do it for us. If you haven't given us a rating or review and you like the show. Uh, do that on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us spread word. Otherwise, we will see you guys next week. Talk about uh, Transformers and probably do our spoiler flash review at that point. Tell too. you yeah. about the rise of the beast. <laughs> In <my> pee. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>